the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Galatians chapter 5. Paul is talking to the Galatians. He's speaking to them as we have discussed over, as I've shared over the last few studies, that Paul is writing a letter to the Galatians to warn them, to apprise them, to make them aware that there are people that are creeping in to the church there in Galatia to lay on them burdens that Christ never intended to be ever laid upon um, his kids. And he's talked to them about that in this letter. And he he shares that, you know, you you at one time you were you were walking so well. And then somebody came in, you know, who hindered you? You ran well. He says there in chapter 5, verse 7, you, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? He's talking to them. And there are so many different forms of people creeping into the church. The, the situation that we've talked about in the past is that in this case, what was happening is the Judaizers were coming in and they were trying to add the law in with the blood of Christ to make people righteous, where it's the blood of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, plus keeping the whole law, then you can be saved. But if you can't keep the whole law and accept Christ, you're not going to be saved. You're not going to be saved. And Paul is saying there's nothing further from the truth. And and so what what Paul is doing is he's refuting that truth, and uh, that not truth, that, that fallacy that has crept in. But as we've talked about in the past, that there are other things that we can be aware of even in our time. And that is, you know, there are various doctrines, winds of doctrine that come in and out of churches. It's like a, a, a wave that comes in and then out. It's real big and then it's out. And then another one comes in and it's another thing and then it's out. And churches sometimes just ride waves. They ride waves of what's hot for that time. And, and so it might be the 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 Pensacola revival, or it can be the you know the forty day thing with Rick Warren, or it can be you know whatever it can be, and and all of these things are gimmicks. They're gimmicks. They're not. They're they're not. I don't. I have a really hard time believing that. And, and I had a problem with the whole issue with the Toronto blessing and the Pensacola revival and and what have you, and the Rodney Howard Brown that was up there in in uh, Pensacola. Um, you know, having a church service every day. I don't have a problem with having a church service every day. That's awesome. I have a problem with saying, hey, this is where the Holy Spirit is. And if you want to find the Holy Spirit, you need to come here because this is where the Holy Spirit is. And so people are coming from all over the, the, the nation, all over the world to go there. And they were, they were going there because that's where the Holy Spirit was. And, and that is a fallacy. That's, that's, that's blasphemous to me. And the Holy Spirit is, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will be in you. And so where I am as a Christian, there's the Holy Spirit. 
And what was happening is it was causing many Christians to feel inferior and who couldn't make the trip or who didn't want to make the trip. There were others that were judging them. Well, you didn't do this, you know. And so there's a lot of different winds and forms of doctrine that come in, in and out the church. And the thing is, we got to be careful. We got to be careful not to be swept up because it's very tempting, isn't it? To get swept up in what everybody's getting swept up in. Now, if there's a revival, it's one thing. A, a revival doesn't happen in one location, though. I mean, it's not just just a a you know. I, I know that revivals can start in a location, but that blossoms and it goes from there. It it spreads. That's what a revival does. A true revival starts in one place and just goes and just spreads everywhere. A true revival, you know. But man-made, and a lot of these things are man-made. A lot of these things are marketing ploys in order to get people to get caught up in this. And you, you got to be careful. We just got to be really, really careful. And Paul recognizes, I don't want my church. I, I, I don't want the church that God gave to me and that God started through me in Galatia. I don't want to get, I don't want to see them caught up in this. I don't want to see them ripped off. Because if, if you can be ripped off here, you're going to just continue to get ripped off throughout the rest of your life. And, and all, all of a sudden, it's not going to be Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's going to be Jesus Christ and whatever the next wave is. And so we've got to be very careful. And that's what Paul is addressing here. And, and what was happening is that there are some that were starting to take some of this and then splinter off and, and make, make other doctrines out of it. And that's always the case. You know, um, when, man, I hesitate to do this, but I'm, I'm going to do it anyways. I'll probably get a letter for it, but it doesn't matter. I may get my dove taken away. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just joking. They don't take your dove away. Um, but Calvary Chapel, you know, it, it started, there was a lot of neat things God was doing in Calvary Chapel many, many, many years ago. And then there came a time where the gifts of the Spirit became, to some, so much more important than the Word of God. And it was the gifts of the Spirit is our draw. It's exercising the gifts of the Spirit. It's, it's you know, having all the demonstrations of the gifts of the Spirit in a, in a church service to the exclusion of someone teaching. Or if there was a teaching, it was, hey, let's give a, a, a quick little five-minute devotion at the end, but this is what we're here for. And it was in that 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 it started to happen in, amongst a lot of churches. Calvary Chapel, I, I believe that the gifts of the Spirit are available and alive and active today. Uh, if you that, that's news to you, I'm sorry, but it, it is. I believe that the gift of tongues are there. I believe that the interpretation of tongues, I believe the gifts of healings and, and miracles are still operative today. Do we see them in large abundance? Not necessarily. But the thing is, what began to happen is that the gifts became more important than the Word of God. And and Paul, he, he addressed even that. He said, you know, I could wish that I spoke a, a few words in a known language than a thousand words in tongues. Because if I speak all these words in tongues, what edification is it to you? I would rather speak a few words in a known tongue to teach you what God says 
to teach you what the Word of God says than, than to get caught up in the gifts of the Spirit. Now, he's not saying the gifts of the Spirit are bad. He's saying those aren't to be the focus. Those should follow. And Pastor Chuck used to have a really great statement that kind of encapsulates this, that believers should not follow after gifts, you know, uh, gifts of the Spirit. Gifts of the Spirit should follow after Christians. Christians should not follow after, you know, those things. Oh, it's happening over there. I'm going to run over there. You're going to get turned, you're going to get turned off. You're going to get burnt out. And you're going to get to a point where all of a sudden it's not doing, it's not meeting that emotional need in your life. And the next thing you know, you're at another church because when you go to the other church, it's new and everything and the pastor's wonderful and the pastor's great because listen to how he teaches and then you're there for a year and you all of a sudden you get tired of the pastor because, man, he's just, I'm tired of him. I mean, the guy is this and he's that and he's this and he's that and, and all of a sudden that guy that was great, now he's not changed. You just have not been emotionally or, you know, you haven't had that that shot of spiritual adrenaline in you because you're looking for something new all the time and when in all actuality we've got a lot of Christians that are running after the shots of adrenaline spiritual adrenaline when in all actuality they're there for your taking on a day by day basis that's why Christ said that I'm going to go away I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you he's with you he will be in you that shot of the Holy Spirit is with you at all time it's there and the thing is is that we feel that we need to, oftentimes, we need to run after something that actually we have in our possession. And the, the, the thing is, is that it, it might take sacrifice. And that's the hard thing. That's where human nature comes in. And that's where it's tough. Because when human nature has to step in, all of a sudden there's an effort on my part. And what what an effort is, what I mean by an effort is that I'm going to have to die to my flesh in some capacity. I'm going to have to spend some time in prayer. I'm going to have to spend maybe some time in fasting. I might have to spend some time in something other than my normal everyday routine. And that's a burden to me. Can't I go somewhere to be spoon fed this because I need to have this adrenaline shot, but I don't want to give the effort to do it. I mean, that's it's, it's a lot like working out, isn't it? Working out. It's not fun to go to a gym and work out. It's not fun to strap on the old sneakers and go out and start running unless you're a runner and an avid runner and, and, you know, they, they say that runners have this runner's high. Now I've run and I've been running a lot lately. I've never, I have runners low. <laughs> I have runners almost paralysis. I'm like, what in the world am I doing? Just shoot me now. You know, kill me. Shoot me. Somebody just knock me out. This is horrible. And, and I hate running. And, you know, they say, well, you just keep doing it because you're, you're going to get this runner's high where it's going to be, oh, you're going to just, it's going to be euphoric. And I've never experienced it. I think it's a lie. I think it's just to keep me running. <laughs> I don't know. Faye's a runner and, and Matt's a runner. Do you, do you guys get that little? You feel good afterwards. Okay. <laughs> you feel good afterwards. You feel good afterwards. It's good. Um, but the thing is, is that, is that, uh, you know, it takes work. It takes work. 
And, and the thing is, is that you don't, you don't get in shape if you, if you don't work out. And, and the thing is, is that if you don't, if you're not experiencing, you know, the Holy Spirit, if you're not experiencing God's gifts around you, could it be, and I'm just putting this out on the table for you to take home and chew on for a season, and that is, is it because you're not spending your time with the Lord? Is it that you're not coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, whatever you have for me this day, regardless of whether I like it or whether I don't, will you fill me? Will you meet whatever need I must have in order to accomplish your will today? And then God give me the wisdom and the discernment to know what steps I should take today, who I should talk to today, who I should reach out to today, who I should touch today, who I should minister to, who I should, when I see someone and I see them down, Lord, place it upon my heart. If that's what you want me to do and go over and speak to that person, Lord, may I? Would you show me? Would you give me that, that wisdom? And when you, when you take the Lord to those extremes, which shouldn't be an extreme, it should be the normalcy, right? It should be that the general practice of a Christian. And that is when the Lord begins to prompt our hearts and we see that person over there and you go over and you minister to this person. And this person is, is just elated that somebody saw them. That somebody met their need. Somebody, somebody, you know, you might be the answer to their prayer. There was a time back when I was in Fort Lauderdale, I'm not going to get into this story other than to say this. There's a girl by the name of Marta over in Fort Lauderdale. She was a, a young, uh, Spanish girl that, that, uh, she didn't have a relationship with the Lord and she ended up getting pregnant. And then she got saved. Her boyfriend took off and she got saved and she was going to abort the baby, but she decided not to. And she got saved and she was walking with the Lord and she was sitting there wondering, what I do? What do I do? What do I do? Should I abort the baby or should I not? Should I abort the baby or should I not? And she's just at her wit's end. She doesn't know what to do. And she had come to a couple of our singles meetings before where she... I think it was that or she came in as a new believer and I, I did the new believer presentation, you know, to kind of get the people in their first steps with the Lord over, you know, when they came forward that day. And I don't even remember her. I, d- I didn't know her, but I was at a bank. I was having to make a deposit that day for Lynette and I, Barnett Bank over there. And as I, I was sitting, standing in line, my line was, his line was forever. And I'm sitting here going, man, it's on a Wednesday and I'm supposed to get back to church because I, I've got to, I got to be there. I've got a lot of responsibilities. We had to get this money in the bank. You know how that goes, you know. And this line is just going forever. And there's like eight tellers there. And so all of these tellers and everybody's being funneled off. And then there was one and I saw a hand down here. And I went down, and as I went down to the teller, all the way down at the end, I went over there, and there's there's this teller, this woman, whose head was down, and she's, she's down there, and her head's kind of bobbing up and down. And I'm thinking, oh, huh. I said, hi, how are you? And she lifts up her eyes, and she has tears in her eyes, and she goes, it's you. And, and I, I, I said, yep. <laughs> yep. me um, I said hi how, how are you how, do we know each other 
And she goes, no, we don't. But, and then she told me the story. I couldn't remember if it was, if she took, a, you know, a class or, or, you know, new believer study or something like that or came to the singles group. And she was just really, really struggling about decisions that she had to do, she had to make with her baby. And she says, I was praying to God right now. That's what I was doing when you walked up. I was praying, God, you have to show me that you love me. You have to show me that you're here. God, you have to show me. I am new at this. I don't know what to do. And I need you to, I need you to show up big in my life right now. You have got to show me that you are on the throne, you know. And then I looked up and you were there. Now, I'm not Jesus. I'm not that. But here's the thing. She knew that I had answers. She knew, she knew that, that God sent her somebody that could, could help her and, and minister to her and pray for her. And I, I made our deposit. I prayed with her and ended up making the deposit and went back. And, and I got to know her. My wife and I got to know her very well. And, and the, the story goes on, but I, that, I don't want to deal with it anymore. Here's the thing. You might be someone's prayer, uh, answer. You never know. I wasn't sitting there. I was sitting there as me, dumb old me. I'm going, come on. I wish y'all would hurry so that I can get, you know, back to church so I can minister. <laughs> and, and it took a long time. But when I finally got there, I was an answer to somebody's prayer. You can be an answer to somebody's prayer just simply by listening to the Lord. So we don't have to go to places we can simply wake up every day, sacrifice and say, Lord, today it is not about me. You know that. It's not about me. It's about you. I'm going to live for you today. Show me. Lead me. Guide me. Anoint me. Lord, empower me to do what it is that you want me to do today. And don't let me get swayed. Help me to stay the course. Help me to stay the path. And And here's the thing. The Lord will do that. And it'll be scary for you because he's going to he's start going to start pointing some things out to you very early in that day, and then the then that's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Where when you go, oh, well, I don't really have a time for this, Lord. I mean, come on, come on, I don't have time for this. All right, I, I hear hear the Lord say that to me a lot. All right, <laughs> because I get so busy, and I miss out on so much of what the Lord wants. But here's the thing. You follow the Lord's leading. And watch out, man. You're not going to go home burnt out, bummed out. You're going to go home jacked. You're going to go home going, holy cow, God used me today. God, you used me today. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. So the Holy Spirit is where you are. You just got to listen. That's That's how we do. And Paul, as he's going on in here, he's saying, hey, stay the course. And as I finish this story with Calvary, listen, what happened is that there were some people that were emphasizing the gifts of the Spirit. And the churches, many of the churches in Calvary Chapel started emphasizing just the gifts of the Spirit and very little teaching. And it started drawing a lot of people because people like the emotional charge that they get from being in a service like that. But there's, what was happening is that they were, they were having a spiritual experience, but they weren't growing in the word. They weren't maturing. 
And so they were having the experience, but they, they, they didn't really know much more. They just, wow, this felt really good, but I don't know anything more about the Lord than, than I did when I came in. And, and, and Pastor Chuck said, hey, hey, we gotta, we gotta pull back on some of this where we're emphasizing the gifts of the Spirit. We gotta emphasize the Word of God. Gifts of the Spirit are great. Let's give room for it. Let's give opportunity for it. But let's not make that the focal point of our ministry. Our focal point of the ministry is to learn, go, and, and allow the Holy Spirit to work. But not at the, not at the exclusion of opening up the Word of God. And there were some that said, nah, we don't want to do that. We want to keep with the gifts of the Spirit. We just want to do this. This is what we feel like this is what the Lord's called us to do. And so it went on for a while and all of a sudden there was one guy that, that kind of took and championed the, the whole group. His name is John Wimber. He kind of championed the group and they Chuck said, listen, it looks like you guys got a group going. He goes, you know what? Let's Let's just separate a little bit, okay? Let's, let's, let's leave Calvary Chapel where we focus on the Word, still allow the Holy Spirit to work and, and gifts of the Spirit and we give room for and we give opportunity for, but our focus and our emphasis is not upon the, is not upon only the gifts of the Spirit. Those of you who, that, that under John that you want that, because let's, let's just change our names. Let's change our names. We're Calvary Chapel. You guys make another name for yourself. Let's let's separate. Let's not break fellowship, but let's separate so that we don't confuse the people when they go from one church to another. Because hopefully the idea would be is that if you went from one Calvary Chapel to another, you knew that you were going to get into the Word of God. You were going to see and hear and understand the Word of God when you left. And the thing is, is that they accepted. And so they created a name Vineyard. And so Vineyard broke off from Calvary Chapel and they became Vineyard. And it worked well. And they grew and we sing Vineyard songs. Love them. Love the Vineyard songs. But the problem is is that as it continued to go down the road with, with Wimber, before he passed away, he passed away from cancer many, many years ago. But here's the thing. It began to grow amongst his group to where it began to get into extra weird stuff. And now John comes like Chuck did and says, hey guys, we got to tone this down a little bit. This is not a work of the Holy Spirit. This is, this is a, I mean, come on. We, we are not to be barking like dogs and laying on the floor, flailing around. We're not to be hiccuping for Christ. You know? Where these are not things that we see in the Word of God. We gotta tone this thing down. It's starting to get really, really, really out there. And the problem is, is that a lot of his churches said, well, we don't want to hear you anymore. We want to go and do our own thing. And that was right around the big Toronto blessing time. And, and so here's the thing. A wind of doctrine comes in and you place so much emphasis upon something that all of a sudden you lose the understanding. You lose what it is that you really are. Now, I don't want to say that we are not to give credence and lend uh, freedom to the Holy Spirit to move in our church. But God is the one that says, I will honor my word even above my name. And so when we exclude the word of God for anything, then we're going to be in trouble. 
And, and the, the, the way to keep us, keep yourself away from getting caught up by every wind of doctrine that comes and flows in and ebbs in and ebbs out is to know that the true reality of the Word of God. And as you do, when those things come, you'll understand the counterfeits that come in and you won't be swayed by them. And it's the reason why we place such an emphasis upon the Word of God and reading your Word and understanding your Word so that you don't get caught up by this. Paul had to write a whole letter to these guys because that was what was happening. But it's happening all over the place. It's probably happening with some of you right now with friends or family or co-workers or something like that. They're saying, oh man, here's the thing. Our church does or uh, we do that or we have that and we have this and we have a giant slide. (laughs) What does that have to do with anything? Oh, we have awesome lights and awesome smoke. You gotta come because it's just like a concert. Is that the focal point of ministry? To appeal to the flesh. And many pastors will say, and many pastors I like will say, hey, the end justifies the means. I say, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not down with that, but I'm not gonna have to answer for you. I'm gonna have to answer for me. And so it's that's that's why we do. And you go, well, look how small of a church you have. I don't know. We've got a we've got a bigger church than Jesus did. He had twelve. I think we're doing pretty good. It's not a popular message. Jesus' message isn't a popular message. And and it and it's not there to appeal to the flesh, simply that we would get a buzz. Simply that we would get warm fuzzies and goosebumps. What does the word of God say? That's called self-sacrifice. We're going to see that here in just a second. But Paul is writing. He's saying, guys, don't get caught up in this stuff. And some of these things that are happening to you, some of these people, had Stoics and Epicureans back in the day. The Stoics were line by line, Stoic, you know the word. The Epicureans, on the other other hand, you know, there's a, I don't mean to bash anything, but there's like an Epicurean type of a, I don't know if it's a restaurant or a business down here. And I, I think, wow, it's an interesting term because if you really understood the term of Epicurean, the Epicureans were those who believed in God, but they believed that anything that indulges your flesh, God wanted you to partake in. And you go, can you imagine? Whatever indulged your flesh, cheating on your wife, does it make you happy? Well, yeah. Is it sinful? Yes, it is. But God gets glory when he forgives me. Epicurean. And, and so here's the thing. It started to, to come in. And Paul is dealing with this. We talked about all of those things last week. And let's pick it up in, in verse uh, 16. I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, let me tell you, the works of the flesh are evident. They're obvious, he says even though some of them were beginning to practice in these things, thinking that God was going to get glory by forgiving them of this. 
He addressed that. You remember I said that last week and at the very end of chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Absolutely not. Actually, I think it's verse 1 of chapter 10. He says, Now the works of the flesh are obvious, which are adultery and fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. So this is an exo- this is not an exhaustive list that Paul is saying. By him tagging on that last little statement there, and the like, he says, then there's many more that I could add to this. Anything like these, these things that are evident, these things that are obvious. I've pointed out a few, but there's many more, he says, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, and I'm just going to allude to something that I said last week, just because I know some of you weren't here, but I think it's important to look at this. If you are practicing these things and you're a Christian and you think you're okay, does not verse 21 make you nervous? Paul says, I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you are comfortable in sin, if you're practicing and comfortable in your sin and you just continue to do it, are you going to go to heaven? Well, yes, I am because the pastor told me, I know, but there's a Bible here that says because you're practicing those things, you're not going to go to heaven. Now, I'm not saying you're not going to go to heaven, but but how do you how do you rectify this verse with your practice in your life? It should make you nervous. If you're doing any of these things and you're thinking at the end of the day you're going to go to heaven, I think verse 21 should make you extremely, extremely nervous in your understanding of salvation. In your understanding of a real true walk with the Lord. You hear me? Listen, he says, these things are not good. Don't do them. Stay away from them. But, he says, here's our passage, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If you're going to say you're a Christian, then walk as a Christian. If you say, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit resides in me, well then walk according to the way that the Holy Spirit would have you to walk. I mean, does that make sense? That's what he's saying here. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Let me, before I get into the fruits of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, let me just look at this. Those, verse 24, those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, let me just say that this is going to be the precursor to what we're going to talk about here now. And that is, those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You remember it was just three chapters ago in verse 20 of chapter 2 that Paul said something very similar to this, right? What did he say? He said, 
I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me, right? He says, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay? So here's what Paul's saying. My life is no longer my own. I died. I've been crucified with Christ. We understand what crucifixion is, right? Crucifixion is what? Death. Execution. Death. Right. You're dead. Your life is over. Execution. You're done. Paul says, my life is done. I was crucified with Christ. Remember hearing an old mentor of mine say, you know, there's many forms of death. You, you can, you can, you can shoot yourself. You can, you can kill. You can stab yourself. You can take pills and, and, uh, you know, kill yourself with pills. You can do a lot of different, there's a lot of ways to kill yourself. There's one form that you, there's one way that you can't kill yourself and that's crucifixion. You can't nail both hands to the cross. You can't nail your feet to the cross. You can't, you can't crucify yourself. And so your crucifixion has got to be found in the one who was crucified and it is in Christ. And that's why Paul says, I have been crucified in Christ. And that's why he says here in verse, in chapter four, or chapter five, verse 24, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The idea is, is that we, and it's that, it's really one of the most simple understandings of the Christian life. And if we can grasp it, if we can grasp it, if you can grasp this, it's going to make you're walking with the Lord so much easier in life. But you've got to grasp it and you've got to embrace it. You've got to own it. You've got to make it a reality in your life. And what is that? It's that you died. It's no longer about you. Many of the problems that we have are because somebody has offended me or somebody has wronged me or somebody is this or somebody is that. It's how I feel. Stop it. It's not about you anymore. You gave your vessel, you gave your life over to the Lord. And if we would understand that, if we could grasp that, all of a sudden you won't be asking those questions. Well, I wonder if I should do this or if I should do that. Hey, is it okay for me to do this kind of a thing? Is it okay for me to... Well, listen, is that what Jesus would do? Well, no, he wouldn't do it, but I I think that maybe he's okay with me doing it. No, wait, wait, wait. You have been crucified with Christ. It's him that's living in you. The life that you now live, you're living for him. That's a hard thing. That's, That's why it's not easy to be a Christian. There's a lot of people that will will stand in a pulpit and say, come here and say these four or five, six words and you're a Christian. Now go and you can do whatever you want in the world and you're saved. And I think that that's very irresponsible. Pastor Chuck used to say, evangelism without discipleship is criminal. Why? Because people need to be discipled. People need to, to learn. Now, do they have to learn from me? No, but they need to learn from the word of God. 
They need to, they need to understand what the Holy Spirit is saying. They understand, have to, have to, to be moved by the Holy Spirit. They need to be led by the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what Jesus said in John chapter 16. The Holy Spirit is going to come in you. He's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to walk with you. He's the one who's going to show you how to go. Now, here's the thing. The only way for that to happen is for you to, to not be on the scene. Your feelings, your desires, your passions. That's what he says. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You have got to go away. And I'm not saying you kill yourself. That's not what, because what good would that do? What you've done is you've willingly and willfully forfeited you and your passions and your desires to the Lord to allow him to work through you. And, and I will say this, if you're burnt out in the faith, or if, if I just don't see anything happening with God anymore, I just don't see anything happening with Jesus anymore, I'm going to say, you haven't done that. There's no way you've done that. You're holding on to you. You're living for you. That's what you're doing. You're living for you. And you've got to be careful. It's not about you anymore. It can't be about you. That's where our problems come up in our life, in Christian, as a Christian. Because it's, but what about me? What about me? I'm offended. I'm hurt. I'm, I'm, you know, I feel put off. I'm this. They hurt my feelings. They did this. They did that. Listen, I don't mean to minimize it, but I'm going to minimize it. It's not about you anymore. Know this. It's about Jesus. You remember Samuel? He ran to, ran to, to God and he goes, God, huh? All the people are mad at me. They don't like me anymore. They hate me. And God says, Samuel, they didn't reject you. They rejected me. It's not about you, Samuel. It's about me. I'm the one that they've rejected, not you. It's not about you. I, that's a, I, I mean, I could stop right there and say, hey, go home and chew on that. And that has to be a nugget you've got to walk out of here with because every single one of us have got to grapple with that. And I'm telling you, it's a big nut to crack. And it's a hard thing for you personally to deal with. Are you willing to give up your life? Are you willing to do what it is that God wants you to do? Are you willing to die to your flesh? Jesus says, if you're not, you're not worthy to follow after me. If a man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. What does he mean by that? To deny himself means, I don't want to live for me anymore, right? Take up your cross. What does that mean? Death. <laughs> your death. Take up your cross. If your name's on that cross, you're on it. Nobody comes off the cross alive. If any man desires to will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and then follow me. But you've got to deny and die before you are ready to follow the Lord. And this might be a radical shakeup to you in here, and you might have been walking with the Lord for 30 years, but let me just say, Go home and see what it is that I've said here today. Is, is this not truth? 
Is this not what the Word of God is saying? Isn't this what Jesus has said to you? Isn't that, isn't that what Jesus has been talking about? Isn't this what Paul is talking about? And if you have denied and died, if you have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires, if you have done that, you know what? You're not going to be living according to the works of the flesh. And notice it in verse 20, uh, 20, uh, in verse 19, that the works of the flesh are evident. They're obvious. He says a plural word, the works of the flesh. There's so many different manifestations of the flesh. But then, as we look at verse 22, it says, but the fruit, singular, the fruit, singular, of the Spirit is love. Notice it starts off with love. Because everything that follows after love all falls under the main point of love. You can't truly love if you don't have these other characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And we start with that. Agape. That's the word. Agape. It means love without conditions. It's affectionate regard or goodwill or benevolence with reference to God's love. It's God's will for direction towards man. It involves God doing what he knows is best for man and not necessarily what man desires. That's God's love towards us. All right? So we're, we're explaining what agape from God's point of view to man's point of view is so that we can then turn it around, reverse it, and go, okay, well then how do we duplicate it? So from God to man is that God gives to man not what man desires, but what man needs. What do you mean by that, Pastor Don? Well, let's look at one verse that's very, very well known. You know it. You don't have to turn there. John three sixteen, right? For God so agaped, agape the world that he gave his only begotten son. What did he give? He gave his son. It's not what man wanted, but it's he, it was what God knew that man needed. It was his son to bring forgiveness to man. It was the only way for you to be saved. Now, you and I weren't desiring it. We weren't asking for it. Hey, God, would you like send your son down here to die on my, on my behalf? That'd be really cool. We didn't, we didn't say that. That's not what we were desiring. We were desiring leeks and onions. We were desiring gold. We were desiring calves. We were desiring an idol made like a god. We were desiring to live like other nations. We were desiring to, to live like the rest of the world. Because we want to have God, but we want to have the world. We want to have one foot in the Lord and one foot in the world. And we can't live like that. That's not a true death to self. That's not true sacrifice. That's not true self-sacrifice. You see, you can't be half alive. You can't be half dead, regardless of what Princess Bride says. There's four types of love. 
phileo, which means brotherly love. Eros, which means romantic love. Storge, which is a familial love, which, which is, a, it's a natural affection type of a love. It's, uh, such as a parent, uh, that, that has an affection towards their offspring. That's storge love. That's familial love. And then you have agape love. There's four words in the Greek for love, and there, these, that's the, the four right there. Agape. Agape is that fourth love. But know this, the agape love is a choice. For God so loved the world, he agape the world that he gave. He chose to gave, to, to give his son to the world so that the world could be saved through a son. It was a choice of love. It was a choice of love. Agape love is always a choice. It's not a feeling. You may not like a person, but you and I are called to agape or love them. But they don't deserve it, Pastor Don. You don't know what they've done. Listen, maybe not. Maybe they don't deserve it, but neither do you or I with the Lord. Do we deserve God's love? No, we don't. And if you think you do, you have a very, very wrong impression of who you are. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. You have sinned and the wages of your sin is death. You deserve nothing but hell. And God knew that. And in his love, his agape love, he chose to send his son to pave a way for you and I so that we can have life. That is love. It's a choice. Well, it was the only way. I mean, look at me. I'm lovable. (laughs) No, you're not. You're not. You're really not. You know it, right? You know it. You're not lovable. I'm not lovable. We're not lovable. Did you put up with everything you did? If you had the mind of God and you knew every single thing that you've ever thought in life, every single action that nobody else in the world ever has known that you've done, would you really accept somebody and, 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 and love them? And I, I don't think so. I think you'd have a hard time doing that. It's a choice. But what if they don't receive it? You say, you know, what if they don't, what, what if I love them and they don't receive it? I mean, do I still have to, listen, still so. You give it anyways, regardless of the response. Why? Because the expression of agape love is de- is that is dependent upon how other. Let me just re re say that because I liked how I said this, how I wrote this. Okay. What if they don't receive it? You say, still so you give it anyway, regardless of the response. Because the expression of agape love that is dependent upon how the other party responds to you is no longer agape love for you have placed a condition upon your showing love toward that person. That makes sense? When you place a dependent, you know, a, a dependent thing on this person that, well, I have loved you, I've forgiven you because you've been so horrible or I've, I've, whatever, I've received you, I've, I've shown you love and you don't deserve it and you don't appreciate my love? Well, forget you. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not showing you love anymore. Isn't that us? 
But here's the thing. What, you, what you've now just demonstrated is not agape love. What, well, I showed it once. Agape love is never ending. Never ending. It's never ending. You can't give up. Because God doesn't give up on you. When you sin, you're doing exactly the same thing. You're not responding to God's gracious love towards you when you sin. What you're doing is you're, you're committing spiritual adultery right before the eyes of the Lord. I don't mean to make things so graphic, but right now, think about it. When you and I commit adultery, we're getting naked and sleeping with the world right in front of God. That's spiritual adultery. We put our clothes back on and say, hey, God, forgive me. And we just expect God to go, okay. Listen, it's in that that... that that's not, that's not a relationship. That's not a relationship. The relationship is, you might, you're gonna sin, and you're gonna blow it. But sin should have remorse to it. Sin should have an effect on your life, where you've recognized that you have offended God with your sin. And you go back and you confess it, you give it to Him and say, God, I blew this, I'm so sorry. But God is going to love you nonetheless. God's love never fails. We sing that song sometimes. Your love never fails. God's love never fails. So we don't put conditions upon our love to someone. Remember, it's not a feeling. I just don't feel love for them anymore. You might say, but it doesn't matter. Remember that agape love is not predicated upon any conditions that you might place upon a person toward others. Agape love is also not an emotional affection. It's not a physical attraction. It's not warm fuzzies and goosebumps. It's a decided action of self-sacrifice that is done in honor and respect to God who continually shows you and I the same type of love. That's agape love. And that's how Paul starts it off. The fruit of the Spirit is that. How does love manifest itself? Oh, in joy. 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 Yeah, joy. I'm going to run through these things very quickly so we can get out of here. Joy. This carries the thought of a happiness that is rooted in the knowledge of God's divine promises and eternal hope and reality. Joy is this. Listen, you show this agape love. Regardless of the response, you show this agape love towards someone. And here's what happens. You you do it with joy, knowing, man, this is temporary right here. But there's an eternal heaven that's before me. And I'm living for an eternal God. Whoever loves me and forgives me the way that I'm I'm demonstrating towards this person. I'm actually able to show them who Jesus is just by my walk, just by me showing them love. And I do it joyously. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 9 through 11, He says, As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. So here's what He's doing. He's showing you how He loves. Okay? So Jesus is saying, If you you want to know how to agape love, look at this. I, as my Father agaped me, I also have agaped you. Now, abide in my love. Abide in my agape. You abide in the way that I love. Okay? You, you, 
You know what abide means? It means set yourself in that place. Place yourself in that camp. Put yourself and center yourself in this location of love that is mine. And then abide there. Don't move. That's where you stay. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, abide in that love, he says. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. That's that's a demonstration of how you actually live it out. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So here, I'm not asking you to do something that I also haven't done. So Jesus is never going to ask you to do something that he himself didn't do when he was here on the earth. Isn't that cool? He says... These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. All of a sudden, that verse is starting, those little verses start making a whole lot of sense to us right now, don't they? Through this study. Understanding the love of God that he has for us. Sacrificing ourselves and living for others. That Jesus, he, the Father, He laid aside his son. He put his son to death. He allowed his son to die. And his son willfully died for those that God gave to him. And now that's the love that he wants to be inside of you and I. Our job is to go through this world and and love people the way that Christ loved us. How did he do it? He sacrificed. He sacrificed. There's a lot of times he wanted to do things that... There's a time. You remember, he was wanting to go up onto a mountain to pray. It was late. He was weary. He was going to go up on a mountain to pray. And here all these people were sitting there all following me around as like a shepherd or sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus, the Bible says, he was moved with compassion and he came down and he ministered to their needs. He set himself aside and he went and he ministered to people. And sometimes it's tough as a Christian to set your own things aside to go out and to minister to people. It sometimes happens at 2 and 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning, but man, do you want the joy of the Lord? Do it. Follow the Lord's commands. Follow the Lord's leading. Follow the Holy Spirit's leading. Peace. Love, joy, peace, peace. This is a calm from deep within. It's an inner calm that can only come through a dependence upon a relationship with God and the power of His Holy Spirit. Long-suffering. Patience as it pertains to others, especially towards those who have hurt you. Again, simply reflecting the same agape love that God has demonstrated through his patience and long suffering for you and with you. Even this morning, when you were getting ready for church, maybe you did something, maybe you got in an argument, maybe you had a fight. Usually on Sunday mornings, those are when couples will oftentimes fight. Why? Because if Satan can get you to fight and get so angry at each other and say, I'm not going to church today, I'm not going like this, he's won. That's why you have so much conflict on a Sunday morning. Or, or if you're, if you're not married here and you're single, it's, it's all of the distractions and all of the problems that can come up. Now, they might all be good distractions or not, I, I guess that's a wrong way to say that. They all might be good things that are distracting you. That's a better way of saying it. They all may be okay things to, that are distracting you, but they're distracting you. And if Satan can throw too many of those things in your way, you're going to go, oh, it's too much. I can't go to church today. I've got to deal with these things. He holds his arms up in victory. I've won. I've won this day. I've won this day. And so the idea is, hey, don't let him win. 
Don't let him win. Don't let him win another day. Patience as it pertains to others, as, as I say, especially towards those who hurt you. Listen, those, when you, when you forgive somebody, you never forgive because the person is worthy. That's not why you forgive. Don't ever wait until somebody's worthy to forgive them. Why? Because God never waited until you were worthy to forgive you. Right? They do not deserve to be forgiven, Pastor Don. And I know as hard as it is and as callous as this might sound, neither were you. You are not worthy to be forgiven of Jesus. Don't put that on me. Don't, don't you lay that trip on me, man. That's, I'm not Jesus. I can't do what it is. Whoa, whoa, wait, wait. You remember, you sold yourself to him. You gave up your life. It's not about you anymore. But it hurts my, stop about my. What about him? Well, does it hurt his feelings? Well, he'd forgive. But I don't have the power. I know you don't. Dear heart, I know you don't have that, that power. But God does. And that's who we're living for. And that's who we're being empowered by. The Holy Spirit. And you watch. As you start living that life, you're going to see it becomes easier and easier and easier as it goes. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard at first. It's hard to deny your flesh. It's hard to deny yourself. It's hard to to love people who are not, who are very, very unlovable. But Jesus did it. And Jesus does it. And Jesus wants to do it through you. Because you and I are just extended arms of Jesus. Right? Kindness. This is a word that is translated either kindness or gentleness. Some of you guys have King James Version. It's probably translated gentleness. And it's done that for good reason. It's a gentle care that you demonstrate toward another. And not just those that you like, but more importantly, those who you may feel do not deserve it. Can you do that? Maybe not in your own flesh, but you can do it in Christ. You definitely can do it in Christ. Goodness. Uprightness of heart. This means uprightness of heart and life. This is a moral and spiritual heart towards others. And so you, you, you want to do right by them. As a Christian, you want to do right by even those who are your enemies. You want to do right. You want your word to be your word. You want to be, you want to be, uh, you want your, your heart to be pure. You want your, your decisions and you want your actions and you want your words to be right and pure. Uprightness in heart and life. Looking at them, not hoping that a, a boulder falls on their head or a piano falls out of the fourth story onto their head. It's, I want what's best for you. I want what's best for you. Faithfulness. This word carries with it the meaning of being a loyal and trustworthy person towards others. In other words, when others are in the office beginning to, beginning to tear down a person that maybe all the rest of the people in the business, they don't like, and you yourself are not drawn in with their criticism because that is not who you are in Christ. And so when word gets back to that person that everyone in the office was tearing them down, the thought should, that should be upon their head is, well, I'm sure that it wasn't everyone because Don wouldn't have been a part of that conversation. Because you have demonstrated a life of Christ. You're demonstrating a life of sacrifice. You're demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit on a day-by-day basis because you love people the way that Christ loved people. 
Gentleness. This is another word that is translated with either gentleness or meekness. This word carries with it a humble heart that seeks no ill will or revenge upon another, but only seeks to have a true, humble consideration for others as Jesus would towards you. The idea here is, hey, you want to be gentle. Gentle with people's lives. Even when you have a sharp word that, man, you know that it could get under their skin and they need to get jabbed because I'm kind of, he's kind of hurt me. And to actually give him a jab verbally, it's truth. It's the word of God. But is that how Jesus would use it? Be careful. Be careful. Don't go out there and misrepresent God like Moses did. Moses, go out and strike the rock. First time he said to Moses. So the children of Israel have water to, to, to quench their thirst. And he goes out there and he strikes the rock and water comes from the rock. Freaking Moses out, I'm sure too. And all the people drink. Later on down the road, many years down the road, same kind of a thing happens. And he goes, Jesus, or God speaks to Moses. He says, Moses, go out there and speak to the rock and the rock will bring forth its water for the people. But Moses was so angry at the people that Moses took it into his own hands to go out there and represent God the way that he wanted to represent God. And he takes that staff back out there and he goes, listen, you ingrates. Shall we like he had anything to do with it? He didn't have anything to do with it. It was God and God only. So we bring water more out of this rock again for you guys. When do you guys ever learn crack? And he hits the thing frustrated. And water comes out and all the people, oh, they drink. And God says to Moses, Moses, come here over here behind this woodshed. You've heard the term. Papa taking me behind the woodshed. <laughs> Moses, what did you, what did you just do? Well, I did what you told me to do. I told you to speak to the rock. You struck the rock in anger. You misrepresented me, Mo. What are you doing? That's not, I'm not angry with the people. You're angry with them. I'm not. And it cost Moses. Moses, for this, you're not going to enter into that promised land that I gave to the children of Israel. You'll lead them to the, to the border, but you're not going in. You're going to die before you go in. He was an old man anyways, but still, the consequences were great for misrepresenting God. So here's the thing. Even though you might have the word that, that, actually can be used but you use it wrongly in the name of Jesus or in the name of the Lord or in the name of the word of God and you strike something what you're doing is if, if, if you're striking it and God doesn't want you to strike it what you're doing is that you're lashing out for you to make yourself feel good so that they feel bad but you're still giving them spiritual advice still gave them your word Lord didn't I I still struck the rock and water came out uh, no, there's no excuse, Moses. I told you to do something and you misrepresented me. Don't do that. Let it be a lesson to us. It's not about us anymore. What did Moses do? He made it about himself. He was angry at the people. He was going out there and showing his frustration towards the people, but that wasn't God. God hadn't fr- didn't have the frustration with the people. It was Moses. Take the lesson of Moses. It's not about us to go out there and strike rocks. Self-control, last word. This word is also translated temperance. This word carries the thought of one who can master his desires and passions and appetites. 
Do you have self-control? Man, I'll tell you, I'm on this diet right now, and it was hard at first. But as time is going on, it's, it's getting a whole lot easier. And you know, that's what I found over my life. Anytime I've ever gone on any kind of a diet, here, here's what happens. It, it starts off hard. It's like working out. It starts off and it's really, really, really hard. But then it gets easier and easier when you become accustomed to it. And your, your muscles start to have that muscle memory and they start to come back. Same kind of a thing with us spiritually walking with the Lord. When we die to ourselves and we, we reject what our flesh is asking for, because our, our flesh, let me tell you, our flesh asks for french fries with a lot of cheese and chili. I mean, here, I'm sitting here, I, when we were talking about this going, oh, we'll have cheese too. I can't eat it, but man, I'll sit there and watch you eat it. <laughs> Here's the thing. There's a, the thing is, is that self-control is, it, it becomes a whole lot easier as you continue to walk in self-control. And as you, as you love, and all of these characteristics of love follow behind you, the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus is basically saying, you do this one thing, you love. And love carries all these other characteristics with it. If you love people, the way I love people. You're going to be walking with me. You're going to be denying your flesh, its passions and its desires, and you're going to be walking with me and watch, but that you are not going to have a very, very full life. You can have a full life in Jesus walking out of this building today. If you deny, die, and then know that that is the prerequisite to start walking with Jesus today. Maybe it's a new thing for you today. But in these last moments, as I pray, you go before the Lord. You confess your life before the Lord. You ask Him to give you the ability to, to walk this life in the fruit of His Spirit. That makes sense. Father God, I just lift you up today to minister to every one of our hearts that are listening this listening to this today in this room or or elsewhere pray lord that this message has come off the way that you intended it that it has spoken to our hearts to help us to realize that life isn't about us it's about you Lord, if there's anybody in this room that they've been a Christian for a while, maybe they've been a Christian a very short time. And this seems very foreign to them. Lord, let them walk out of this building a changed person today. Let them at this very moment right now come before you and, and confess before you, Lord, I have not been denying myself and I definitely have not been dying to myself because I have made my life about me and how I feel. It's about my feelings. It's about my emotions. It's about what I get out of this. I've selfishly been looking at my life. Lord, that was one of the works of the flesh, selfish ambitions. So Lord, I pray for that one or those many people, myself also included, Lord, those areas in our life that 
we've not denied or died to, Lord, may we completely deny and die to our flesh. May we live our life for you. May it be about Jesus Christ and him crucified. May it be about you from this day forward. May we consider your direction. May we consider your words. May we we consider your touch in certain capacities. May we consider a kind word or a willing ear or a heartfelt, humble heart that comes before a person and sits down and ministers to them. Or is joyous with somebody because something has happened in their life and and truly we can be joyous with them because we see the happiness that is happening in their life. And so we can be joyous with them and simply just reflecting you, Jesus, may we truly be moons. As a moon doesn't declare its own light, it doesn't promote its own light, it doesn't propel its own light. It has no illumination in and of itself. It is simply a reflection of the sun. And so God, may we truly be reflections of you as we shine down, as we've had these last few days, this beautiful full moon out just over a few nights ago and how bright and clear it was outside in the middle of the night. Lord, may we reflect your light. May we illuminate your love, your grace, your mercy, even when we don't feel like a person deserves it. May we reflect you in everything we say and everything we do. May this be a new path in our life. May this be a new trail. And may you meet us on this every single morning and lie down with us at night because we have we've experienced this, this, this life with you. Considering you before we consider us. Dying to our flesh and living for you. Crucifying our flesh and living alive in the Spirit. Lord, we love you. I pray, God, that you would empower us to go out and live for you from this day forward, but especially on this day and the rest of this week, Lord, may we truly live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.